word love has been watered down and misused in our culture. But God defined it perfectly in His Word, and most powerfully in one key verse. Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah returns to John 3.16, the single verse that illustrates God's love in a multitude of ways. If you need to feel that love today, listen as David introduces the conclusion of the Word's greatest text. How many times have you heard people recite John 3.16? And more than likely, if you've been in the faith for very long, you've memorized it. Maybe you have it on a card. Maybe it's on a plaque in your uh, living room or your dining room or wherever you hang out at home. Maybe you've even been bold enough to put it on your office wall. But it's a powerful verse. And I would dare to say, when we get to heaven, if there is such a thing, And I have to believe there will be. If we can pull it off down here, they'll be able to do it up there. Maybe there'll be a a survey. What was the one verse that brought most people to heaven? And I'm pretty sure it's this one, John 3.16. There are many reasons for that. But one of the main reasons is it's so simple. It's so plain. It's so easy to understand. And most of all, it's so easy to follow. If you're not a Christian, I hope you'll stay tuned and listen to the gospel as it is presented by John 3.16. And we'll get there in just a moment. We have an incredible book that we want to give you. Uh, When you send a gift to Turning Point during the month of June, you say, why is June so important? Well, it's the end of the fiscal year here at Turning Point, and we we do a little extra uh, asking. We do a little extra working to try to get people to understand how vital it is that we do our part in investing in the ministry of Turning Point. So wherever you are, whatever your resources may be, your capacity, your ability, do what God wants you to do. Ask him, how can I be of help to Turning Point? And whatever he tells you to do, just do it. And whether it's little or much, be sure when you send your gift to ask for your copy of this resource. We'd love to send you this wonderful book, Living the 66 Books of the Bible. It's practical application for each of the 66 books to encourage and challenge you to live your life as an echo of God's truth in the Bible. Well, let's finish up now as we look back into our Gospels in John 3.16, and this is part two. Notice that this verse teaches us the love of God is expressive in its action. For God so loved. Now, I'm sure we cannot comprehend in our day and age how astounding that truth really was when it was said and when it was written. For in the day when this was written, in the mind of man, then and now, God was considered to be a tyrant driving men to hell. The heathen nations even today try to satisfy or propitiate their God. You see the missionary films and sometimes the National Geographic magazine, and you notice medicine men and dancers and witch doctors and wild tribes in all parts of the world. And you realize that those people are practicing their pagan religions with the desire to somehow make God happy with them. And they're always trying to do something to satisfy God because in their minds, the God that they visualize is an angry God and a tyrant God and a God who is waiting to punish all mankind for their evil deeds. And then you read John 3.16 and it just astounds you. God is not a God who is a tyrant, but God is a God who is a God of love. And God so loved the world 
And no longer do you see man trying to propitiate God and satisfy him, but you see God in his love reaching down to man and dealing with man's sin. Probably the biggest little word in the entire verse is the word so. God so loved. For in this word so are contained all of the agonies of the cross and all of the suffering and agony that Jesus experienced when he walked on this earth. In essence, that verse is saying that God loved us, but he loved us in a special way. He so loved us that he did something about that love. Years ago, my wife and I had the opportunity to go to London, England, and while we were there, we visited some of the great churches in that city. It is certainly a city of churches. Christopher Wren has put his stamp upon much architecture throughout London in the great cathedrals that were built there. We visited the St. Paul's Cathedral, and I remember as we left the cathedral that day that in the annex of the cathedral there is a huge statue of Jesus Christ writhing in anguish on the cross and the look of pain on his face and the sweat drops of blood on his body. And underneath that statue there is a plaque that says this, this is how God loved the world. I think sometimes when we think about the love of God, we forget that the love of God was given to us not only in a word but in an action. When God sent Jesus Christ and he was hung there on the cross, that picture of Christ writhing in agony on the cross is God's picture of his love for us. He knew that we were doomed and damned to death because of our sin. And he sent Jesus Christ out of a loving heart to take our place. And when he suffered and died there, he demonstrated his love for you and for me. I cannot help but think of the words of John when he wrote in 1 John 3, 1, Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. And Jeremiah the prophet wrote about it too when he wrote in Jeremiah 31, 3, the words of God being spoken there, Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love, therefore with loving kindness have I drawn thee. God's love is expressive in its action. God did not just say, I love you, but God said, I loved you, and then he did something to demonstrate his love. There are no empty words of love in the message of the gospel. Then secondly, we notice in this verse of scripture that the love of God is extraordinary in its choice. Had you and I been given the opportunity to choose an object for our love, we would never have chosen the world. God chose the world. The extraordinary thing is that such a word should fall from a Jewish lip. Here is a man, a Jew, talking about God loving the world. And the ancient Hebrew was the true aristocrat of his day. He did not look at anyone with favor except his fellow Jew. He looked down with proud disdain on every Gentile. But here is a Jew writing these words to tell us that God didn't just love the Jewish people, but he loved everyone, Gentiles, the whole world. Not just one nation. His love is not confined to Palestine. It's not just the good people. He didn't just love a certain kind of character. He loved the lovable and the unlovable. He loved those who know God and who don't know anything at all about God. And he loved them from every tribe and nation in the entire globe, the world of sinful men. Now, one of the things that I find difficult to explain to people when I preach or teach on this verse is that God loved the world and that that includes them. You see, we have two different kinds of love that we know. Let me see if I can illustrate. I think I'm a great patriot. I love the United States of America. I'm glad I was born here. I'm excited about what it means to be an American citizen and all the freedoms that we have. And I can literally say to you with all of my heart, 
that I love America, but I love my daughter. I have to confess to you that the way I love is a whole lot different than the way I love the United States of America. But when God says that he loves the world, it is possible for God to love the world and yet at the same time love every individual in the world in the same intimate, personal way that I love my daughter. Now, the astounding thing to me, folks, is this. If you can get a hold of this illustration, that when the Bible says that God loves the world, it does not differentiate at all between the two kind of loves that I've expressed. God loves each individual in the world as if they were the only person in the world. And St. Augustine has put it this way. He said, God loves each of us as if there were only one of us to love. And so when the Bible says that God loves the world, it literally means that God loves you as if you were the only person on this earth. That's why we can say this is the greatest expression of the love of God any place in the Bible. God loved the world. Now notice thirdly that this love of God is expensive in its sacrifice. He gave his only son. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. This is a love that has been demonstrated by the gift of an expensive gift to the world. God looked around heaven for the most extravagant thing he could do to demonstrate his love for lost mankind. And he put his finger on the shoulder of his son and he sent his only begotten son into this world to pay the price for our sin and to demonstrate his love. And 1 John 4, 9 says, In this was manifested the love of God toward us because he sent his only begotten son. And Romans 8.32 says, He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him freely give us all things? We had a little film clip that I had seen to try to illustrate the love of the Father. In this film clip, there's a story of a boy and his dad who have become very close in their relationship. And they lived on a farm out in the outskirts of the town. And they played together and they worked together and they spent much time together. The boy was about 10 years of age. And one of the duties of this father was, because they were in a rural area, he was responsible for switching the train that came through that region. That was one of his side jobs. And every day he would have to go out and pull the switch and direct the train where it ought to go, where there was a fork. And the story pictures the father and his son out into the wilderness and they're playing out in the field and they're fishing and all of a sudden they hear the whistle of the train and so it's time for the father to go and make the switch. And, and so he tells his son that he'll be back in a few moments. But in meantime, his son goes off in the other direction and he gets on the track. And the train is coming down toward the angle where it has to be switched. If the father doesn't pull the switch, the train will plunge off this way into a canyon because it's going too fast to negotiate the turn. And as he looks up and is ready to switch the train, he notices that on the trestle, which is right out in front of the place where the train must go, he sees his little boy walking across the track toward him. And there is absolutely no way for that boy to escape the onrushing train if the father switches the switch in that direction. And you see the agony in the mind of that father as he recognizes the choice that he has to make. Here is a train load of people, of passengers. If he pulls the switch this way, they will all certainly be killed. And here is his only son on the track. And if he pulls the switch the other way, his own son will certainly be killed. And the film stops before you know what happens. And the caption is that we were on the train. And God the Father was at the switch. 
And he spared not his own son, but freely gave him up for us all. In essence, what God did was this. He let his son be killed that we might be saved. That's what it means when it says that this love of God is expressive and expensive in its sacrifice. And then it goes on to say that the love of God is extensive in its offer. Whosoever will may be saved. Richard Baxter, the great preacher, once wrote that he was so glad that God put the word whosoever in that verse because he was such a vile sinner that if John 3.16 said that if Richard Baxter should confess and be saved, he said, I would have known it was some other Richard Baxter. It couldn't possibly have been me. Because he said, I was such a vile sinner that I could not believe that God would ever save me and love me enough to do that. But he said, when I read the word whosoever, I realized that it had to include me, for that word includes everybody. I've always liked the story about a man by the name of Mr. Klein who was discouraged and defeated and convinced that he wasn't worth saving and that nobody cared about him and that it wasn't worth living. One night he walked past a church on a Sunday evening when the services were in progress and as the congregation was singing, he caught the strains of a very familiar hymn, the lines of which go like this, Saved by grace alone, this is all my plea. Jesus died for all mankind and Jesus died for me. He heard, and he wasn't listening very well, and he thought he heard something that wasn't being sung, and on the basis of that, he went in. For you see, when he heard the congregation singing the words, Jesus died for all mankind, he thought they sang, Jesus died for old man Klein, which was his name. And that verse in that hymn became so apparent to him that this gospel was meant for him, that he went in and he was saved. And sometimes when I've been talking with people about the love of God, I've liked to bring them to this verse of Scripture and, and ask them to insert their name in the verse. For God so loved David Jeremiah that he gave his only begotten son that if David Jeremiah would believe, he could be saved. It's awful difficult for us to confine the world down to where we are, and yet it's critical for us to understand that if God loved the world, he loved us, and that love is for us. We're a part of the whosoever. Then notice, fifthly, that God's love is exclusive in its bestowment. It says that God loved the world, but it also says that only that love is extended to those who believe in him. Whosoever believeth in him. The love of God is extended to the whole world, but it only is focused in upon those who will believe in Jesus Christ. And it's very succinctly put in the 18th verse of the third chapter, where we read, He that believeth on him is not condemned... But he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son. There are two kinds of people in the world as it relates to the love of God, those who have believed in Jesus Christ and those who have not believed. And the Bible says that those who believe get the love of God in their own lives. And those who don't believe, that love of God is not efficient in their lives. So while it is true to say that God loves everybody, it is not true to say that everybody receives that love unless they accept it by believing. And then the verse goes on to teach us that this love of God is exceptional in its work. It says that if we believe and trust, we will not perish. Do you know what it means to perish? It doesn't mean to be annihilated. It doesn't mean to stop existence. Men and women, I am confident, just as sure as I'm standing here today, that every single person is going to be eternally alive somewhere. There is no such truth as the annihilation of the soul or the destruction of the individual. Everybody has an eternal soul, and that soul will live somewhere. And to perish does not mean to stop to exist. To perish means to be cut off from God. 
The word perish is a word which means to be separated forever from the loving God. And the Bible says that when we receive God's love, we never have to be separated from God. We can be plugged in for the rest of our lives. And then lastly, we're taught that this love of God is eternal in its blessedness. So many little children have learned John 3.16 and have come up with some of the most interesting misquotations. I remember hearing a little girl one time say John 3.16 this way, For God so loved the world that he gave his only forgotten son. And that's not the way it was written, but there's some truth there, isn't it? That's really what happened when Jesus Christ came into this world. God the Father forgot him that he might remember you. He turned his back upon Jesus Christ and forgot him in order that he might remember you. Another little girl quoted John 3.16 this way. She said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have internal life. And that's true too, isn't it? That life which God gives to us is not only eternal, but it's that internal life, the life that really makes a difference. It's not the good life as we hear it these days, but it's life that really brings joy and satisfaction to a human being. God sent his son to the cross that we might have that kind of life. There's a great gospel song that has been written about God's love. You've heard it many, many times over the years. George Beverly Shea used to sing it. I have a couple of records with him singing it on the records. It's called The Love of God. And it's just a beautiful song. The song circulated for many years with just one verse. And then a second verse was added to the song. Interestingly enough, that second verse was discovered scrawled on the wall of an insane asylum in a cell, in a private, solitary cell where some poor wretch had spent the last days of his life on the cell wall was scrawled these words that were later added to the song, The Love of God. And these are the words. If we with ink the ocean fill, and were the sky a parchment made, were every stalk on earth a quill, and every man a scribe by trade, to write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry, nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. O oh, love of God, how rich and pure, how measureless and strong, it shall forevermore endure the saints and angels' song. Written by a poor wretch on the wall of an asylum, as if to tell us in no uncertain terms that the love of God reaches even to such depths. Here was a man unloved and unwanted by human society, but alone in that place, he understood and recognized that God loved him. If there's any message that I could share wherever I go and over and over again to say it and to illustrate it and to preach it, it's this. God loves you. In a world that seems to have forgotten the real meaning of the term, where the word love has just been prostituted to mean getting what we want out of life, God looks down to all of us, and with the words of John 3.16 and many other passages like it, he tells us that he loves us and that that love has been demonstrated in a great act of love, the giving of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And some of you are wondering if there's anyone in all of the world that loves you, that really cares about who you are and where you are in your life. And it's my joy to announce to you on the authority of the word of God that God loves you. He loves you as if you were the only one in the whole world. Now, what we do with that love is all important. You see. 
God does not force his love on us. In fact, I don't know that it's possible to force love on someone. God offers that love to us in the person of Jesus Christ, and he asks only that we reach out our hands and receive it. He has demonstrated the genuineness of that love, and he simply says to us, if you will accept, if you will receive my love by receiving Jesus Christ, you can have eternal life. And the difference between all of us is that some of us are sinners who have received God's love and his forgiveness, and others of us are sinners who have not. I can't think of anything that hurts more than love that has been spurned. Can you imagine coming home to your wife, wanting to express your love to her, reaching out your arms to kiss her, and having her turn her head away? I've had men tell me about that when they were going through trial at home. Can't think of anything that would hurt any worse. I got acquainted with a man who had gone through some real marital discord in his home. In fact, ultimately ended up in the divorce court. It was a very, very tragic time in his life. And it ended up with him over here on one side and his wife and his son over here on the other. Here he was with the two people in the world that he loved more than anyone else, and he was the adversary. And the whole proceeding got very ugly in suits and countersuits and long period of involvement in the courts to see who got all of the assets, etc., etc. This man, during those proceedings, someone told him about the love of God, and he received Jesus Christ as his Savior. And though before that time he had been very hostile toward his wife and toward his son, he told me that the first thing he wanted to do was to make peace. He said, I didn't think I could put the home back together, but I wanted those people to know I loved them. And he said, I went to the courtroom right after this experience, after the court proceedings were over. My son was standing up in the front of the courtroom, and he said, I went up to my son, and I couldn't say anything. He said, I had tears coming down my face, and I just reached out my arms like that as if to embrace my son and to hug him, a grown man. And he said, my son put his arms together and pushed them out so that I couldn't do it. And he said, Pastor, I have never felt any pain like that pain in all my life. Love that is not received. And I've thought often after I heard that story of how our Heavenly Father must feel. He's said to us in the written word, I love you. And we might ask, how can we know that? And he said, I loved you so much that I gave my son and sent him to this world and he paid the price for your sin. And he looks at us and he says, my child, I really do love you and I want you to receive my love by receiving Jesus Christ. And there are a whole lot of folks I know that won't let God's love be felt and realized. Do you think the heart of our Father is broken as he realizes that the penalty has been paid, the love has been proven, and it's being offered freely, and there are so many who will not receive it? I hope you are among those who will open your heart to the truth if you've never done it before. You know COVID, uh, inflation, um, disruption in our culture and crime and all the stuff that's happening today. It unsettles us, doesn't it? It, it Oftentimes it, it strikes at the pillars of security in our life, and that can be really devastating. But it can also be very motivating. And you need to ask yourself this question, am I building my life on the right foundation? Am I strong in Christ so that no matter what happens around me, I am ready to face the challenge? 
you need Jesus Christ seated upon the throne of your heart before anything else happens in a positive way. And if you've never put your trust in him, listen to John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. That last phrase should be enough. Don't perish. Have everlasting life. Put your trust in Christ. And you can do that by simply saying a prayer wherever you are. Just ask the Lord Jesus Christ to forgive your sin. Come and live within your heart, and he will do it, and you will be a changed person. Tomorrow we're going to ask this question. Is there just one gospel? Is Jesus the only way to heaven? Are there many ways or just one way? You've heard people discuss that. Tomorrow, I think we'll settle it. So I hope you'll join us then right here on This Good Station. Today's message came to you from Shadow Mountain Community Church and Senior Pastor Dr. David Jeremiah. We'd love to know how Turning Point is encouraging you. So please write us at Turning Point for God of Canada, P.O. Box 18098, Delta, B.C., V4L2M4. Visit our website at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio or call 800-946-4300. And ask for your copy of David's new book, Living the 66 Books of the Bible, and learn to better understand and apply God's Word each day. It's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also download the free Turning Point mobile app for your smartphone or tablet, or search in your app store for the keywords Turning Point Ministries to access our programs and resources. Visit davidjeremiah.ca slash radio for details. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue the series, The Word, here on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. Did you know that nearly 2 million Turning Point radio programs are broadcast each year? Your support enables Turning Point to continue delivering the unchanging Word of God to an ever-changing world. And thanks to our giving challenge, any fiscal year-end gift you give until the end of June will be doubled up to $50,000. You can help Turning Point finish strong by donating today. Call 800-946-4300 or go to davidjeremiah.ca. Take the young ones in your life on an unforgettable journey that will get them excited about the Word of God with the Airship Genesis Kids Study Bible. Then continue the adventure with monthly audio adventures on airshipgenesis.com. Plus, download the Airship Genesis mobile game where kids will travel back in time to the life of Jesus. Blast off with the young one in your life at airshipgenesis.com. If you've enjoyed today's program with Dr. David Jeremiah, you might be interested in hearing it again at your convenience. Stay connected to Turning Point by visiting our website at davidjeremiah.ca or by downloading our free Canadian mobile app. The app can be found by searching for Turning Point Canada on your smart device app store. Create an account and order digital resources from today's program with easy one-click checkout at davidjeremiah.ca. Everybody knows that hindsight is 2020, meaning that life is much more clear after the fact than before. Even though our glasses or LASIK surgery may give us 2020 vision, we still can't always see the future with the kind of precision we would like. But I have good news. 
God sees the future as clearly as he sees the past. In fact, he often revealed the future to his prophets to give his people hope. And because he knows the future, we should take our fuzzy vision to him and ask him to guide our steps and our decisions. He can see what we cannot. This is David Jeremiah encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's foresight on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com and get your roadmap for life. Route 66, start your journey home today.